0: Kahani Cafe Kahani Cafe Kahani Bala Rajat Ke Well, hello and welcome back. As I always say, Hello, Namaskar, adab Welcome and from every part of this world. If you are listening to this podcast, then we are friends. Let me tell you. I am Kahani Kahaniwala Rajat, your storyteller for this podcast called Kahani Cafe uh, brought to you by Macmillan Education. And I come up with some stories which I find really interesting, beautiful and from a world where we always wanted to be in but we couldn't find the time to stay there in the world of stories. I have come up with stories of various forms and from the cupboards of various authors. This time, the series which I am going through or the series which I am narrating in these episodes is of the famous author Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl is actually the master of twist. There was a time when I when I just read the stories like Chocolate Factory or the, the BFG, the stories which are more towards kids. But Roald Dahl has a, such a beautiful catalogue of stories that you will keep on reading his story and his writing style. Without wasting your time, I am coming right to the point. The story today is The Lamb to the Slaughter. Lamb to the Slaughter. Now what this story is, if you have heard this story, then we'll definitely enjoy it once again. And if if you you haven't heard this uh, story till late, so this is the time to experience this very twisted tale with the master storyteller, Roald Dahl. What detailing he has given. Just listen to this. Lamb to the Slaughter. This is the story. The room was warm and clean, the curtains drawn, the two table lamps alight, hers and the one by the empty chair opposite. On the sideboard behind her, two tall glasses, soda water, whiskey, fresh ice cubes in the thermos bucket. Mary Maloney was waiting for her husband to come home from work. Now and again, she would glance up at the clock, but without anxiety merely to please herself with the thought that each minute gone by made it nearer the time when he would come. There was a slow smiling air about her and about everything she did. The drop of the head as she bent over her sewing was curiously tranquil. Her skin, for this was her sixth month with child, her skin had acquired a wonderful translucent quality. The month was soft and the eyes with their new, blessed look seemed larger, darker than before. When the clock said 10 minutes to 5, she began to listen and a few moments later, punctually, as always, she heard the tires on the gravel outside and the car door slamming, the footsteps passing the window, the key turning in the lock. She laid aside her sewing, stood up and went forward to kiss him as he came in. Hello darling, she said. Hello, he answered. She took his coat and hung it in the closet. Then she walked over and made the drinks, a strongish one for him, a weak one for herself and soon, she was back again in her chair with her sewing and he in the other, opposite, holding the tall glass with both his hands, rocking it so the cubes tinkled against the side. For her, this was always a blissful time of day. She knew he didn't want to speak much until the first drink was finished and she on her side was content to sit quietly, enjoying his company after the long hours alone in the house. She loved to luxuriate in the presence of this man and to feel almost a sunbather feels the sun. That warm male glow that came out of him to her when they were alone together. She loved him for the way he sat loosely in a chair, for the way he came in a door or moved slowly across the room with long strides. She loved the intent, far look in his eyes when they were rested on her. The funny shape of the mouth and especially the way he remained silent about his tiredness. Sitting still with himself until the whiskey had taken some of it away. Tired, darling? Yes, he said. I'm tired. And he spoke. He did an unusual thing. He lifted his glass and drained it in one swallow, although there was still half of it, at least half of it left. She wasn't really watching him, but she knew what he had done because she heard the ice cubes falling back against the bottom of the empty glass when he lowered his arm. He paused a moment, leaning forward in the chair. Then he got up and went slowly over to fetch himself another. I'll get it. She cried, jumping up. Sit down, he said. When he came back, she noticed that the new drink was dark amber with the quantity of whiskey in it. Darling, shall I get your slippers? No, he said. She watched him as he began to sip the dark yellow drink and she could see little oily swirls in the liquid because it was so strong. I I think it's a shame, she said, that when a policeman gets to be as senior as you, they keep him walking about on his feet all day long. He didn't answer. So she bent her head again and went on with her sewing. But each time he lifted the drink to his lips, she heard the ice cubes clinking against the sides of the glass. Darling, she said, would you like me to get you some cheese? I haven't made any supper because it's Thursday. No, he said. If you are too tired to eat out, she went on. It's still not too late. There's plenty of meat and stuff in the freezer. You can have it right here and not even move out of the chair. (laughs) Her eyes waited on him for an answer, a smile, a little nod, but he made no sign. Anyway, she went on. "I'll, I'll get you some cheese and crackers first. I don't want it, he said. She moved uneasily in her chair, the large eyes still watching his face. But, but you must have supper. I can easily do it here. I would like to do it. We can have lamb chops or pork, anything you want. Everything is in, in the freezer. Forget it, he said. But darling, you must eat. I'll fix it anyway and you can have it or not as you like. She stood up and placed her sewing on the table by the lamp. Sit down, he said. Just for a minute. Sit down. It wasn't till that she began to get frightened. Go on, sit down. She lowered herself back slowly into the chair, watching him all the time with those large and bewildered eyes. He had finished the second drink and was starting down into the class, was staring down into the class, frowning. Listen, he said, I've got something to tell you. What is it, darling? What's the matter? He had become absolutely motionless, and he kept his head down so that the light from the lamp beside him fell across the upper part of his face, leaving the chin and the mouth in the shadow. She noticed that there was a little muscle moving near the corner of his left eye. This is going to be a going to be a bit of shock to you, I'm afraid, he said. But I have thought about it, it a good deal, and I have decided the only thing to do is tell you right away. I hope you won't blame me too much. And he told her, it didn't take long, 4 or 5 minutes at most. She sat very still through it all, watching him with a kind of dazed horror as he went further and further away from her with each word. So there it is, he added. And I know it's kind of a bad time to be telling you, but there simply wasn't any other way. Of course, I'll give you money and see that you are looked after. But there need not really be any fuss, right? I hope not anyway. It wouldn't be very good for my job. Hope you understand that. Her first instinct was not to believe any of it. To reject it all. It occurred to her that perhaps he hadn't even spoken. That she herself had imagined the whole thing. Maybe if she went about her business and acted as though she hadn't been listening, then later when she sort of woke up again, She might find none of it had ever happened. Uh, 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 I'll get the supper. She managed to whisper and this time, he didn't stop her. When she walked across the room, she couldn't feel her feet touching the floor. She couldn't feel anything at all, except a slight nausea and a desire to vomit. Everything was automatic now. Down the stairs to the cellar, the light switch, the deep freeze, the hand inside the cabinet taking hold of the first object it met. She lifted it out and looked at it. It was wrapped in paper, so she took off the paper and looked at it again. A leg of lamb. All right then, they would have lamb for supper. She carried it upstairs holding the thin bone end of it with both her hands and as she went through the living room, she saw him standing over by the window with his back to her and she stopped. For God's sake! He said, hearing her, but not turning around. Don't make supper for me. I'm going out. At that point, Mary Malone simply walked up behind him and without any pause, she swung the big frozen leg of lamb high in the air and brought it down as hard as she could on the back of his head. She might just as well have hit him with a steel club. She stepped back a pace, waiting, and the funny thing was that he remained standing there for at least four or five seconds, gently swaying, then he crashed to the carpet. The violence of crash, the noise, the small table overturning, helped bring her out of the shock. She came out slowly, feeling cold and surprised, and she stood for a while, blinking at the body, still holding the ridiculous piece of meat tight with both hands, alright, she told herself, so I have killed him. It was extraordinary, now, how clear her mind became all of a sudden. She began thinking very fast. As the wife of a detective, she knew quite well what the penalty would be. That was fine. It made no difference to her. In fact, it would be a relief. On the other hand, what about the child? What were the laws about murderers with unborn children? Did they kill them both? Mother and child, Or did they wait until the 10th month? What did they do? Mary Malone didn't know and she certainly wasn't prepared to take a chance. She carried the meat into the kitchen, placed it in a pan, turned the oven on high and showed it inside. Then she washed her hands and ran upstairs to the bedroom. She sat down before the mirror, tidied her face, touched up her lips and face. She tried a smile. It came out rather peculiar. She tried again. <laughs> uh, hello, hello, Sam. She said brightly aloud. The voice sounded peculiar too. Uh, I, I want some potatoes, please, <laughs> Sam. Yes, I, and I think I, a can of peace. That was better. Both the smile and the voice were coming out better now. She rehearsed it again, several times more. Then she ran downstairs, took her coat, went out the back door, down the garden into the street. It wasn't 6 o'clock yet, and the lights were still on in the grocery shop. Hello, Sam, she said brightly, smiling at the man behind the counter. Why, good evening, Mrs. Maloney, how are you? Uh, I want some potatoes please, Sam. Yes, and I think a can of peas. The man turned and reached up behind him on the shelf for the peas. Patrick's decided he's tired and doesn't want to eat out tonight, she told him. We usually go out on Thursdays, you know, And now he's caught me without any vegetable in the house. (laughs) Then how about meat, Mrs. Maloney? No, uh, I've got meat, thanks. I got a nice leg of lamb from the freezer. Oh, I don't much like cooking it frozen, (laughs) Sam, but I'm uh, taking a chance on it this time. Uh, You think it'll be all right? (laughs) Personally, the grocer said, I don't believe it makes any difference. You want these potatoes? Oh, yes, that'll be fine. Two of those. Uh, Anything else? The grocer cocked his head on one side, looking at her pleasantly. How about afterwards? What are you going to give him uh, for afterwards? Uh, Well, uh, uh, what would you suggest, Sam? The man glanced around his shop. How about a nice big slice of cheesecake? I know he likes that. Perfect, she said. He loves it. And when it was all wrapped and she had paid, she put on her brightest smile and said, Thank you, Sam. Good night. Good night, Mrs. Maloney. And thank you. And now, she told herself, as she hurried back, all she was doing now, she was returning home to her husband and he was waiting for his supper. And she must cook it good and make it as tasty as possible because the poor man was tired. And if, when she entered the house, she happened to find anything unusual or tragic or terrible, then naturally, it would be a shock. And she would become a frenetic with grief and horror. Mind you, she wasn't expecting to find anything. She was just going home with the vegetables. Mrs. Patrick Maloney, going home with the vegetables on Thursday evening to cook supper for her husband. That's the way she told herself. Do everything right and natural. Keep things absolutely natural and there be no need for any acting at all. Therefore, when she entered the kitchen by the back door, she was humming a little tune to herself and smiling. Patrick, she called. How are you, darling? She put the parcel down on the table, went through into the living room and when she saw him lying there on the floor with his legs doubled up and one arm twisted back underneath his body, it really was rather a shock. Old love and longing for him welled up inside her and she ran over to him, knelt down beside him and began to cry her heart out. It was easy, no acting was necessary. A few minutes later she got up and went to the phone. She knew the number of the police station and when the man at the other end answered, she cried to him, Quick, quick, come quick, Patrick is dead. Who's speaking? Mrs. Maloney, Mrs. Patrick Maloney." You mean Patrick Maloney is dead? I, I think so. <laughs> he's lying on the floor and I think he's dead. We'll be right over, the man said. The car came very quickly and when she opened the front door, two policemen walked in. She knew both of them. She knew nearly all the men at the precinct and she fell right into Jack Noonan's arm. Weeping hysterically, he put her gently into the chair and went over to join the other one, who was called O'Malley, kneeling by the body. Is he dead? She cried. I'm afraid he is. What happened? Briefly, she told her story about going out to the grocer and coming back to find him on the floor. While she was talking, crying and talking, Noonan discovered a small patch of congealed blood on the dead man's head. He showed it to Omele, who got up at once and hurried to the phone. Soon, other men began to come into the house. First a doctor, then two detectives, one of whom she knew by name. Later, a police photographer arrived and took pictures and a man who knew about fingerprints. There was a great deal of whispering and muttering beside the cops. And the detectives kept asking her a lot of questions. But they always treated her kindly. She told her story again, this time right from the beginning, when Patrick had come in and she was suing and he was tired, so so tired he hadn't wanted to go out for supper. She told how she would put the meat into the oven, it's there now cooking, and how she would slip out to the grocer for vegetables and come back to find him lying on the floor. Which grocer? One of the detectives asked. She told him and he turned and whispered something to the other detective who immediately went outside into the street. In 15 minutes he was back with a page of notes and there was more whispering and And through her sobbing, she heard a few of the whispered phrases like acted quite normal, very cheerful, wanted to give him a good supper, peas, cheesecake, impossible that she... After a while, the photographer and the doctor departed and two other men came in and took the corpse away on a stretcher. Then the fingerprint man went away. The two detectives remained and so did the two policemen. They were exceptionally nice to her and Jack Noonan asked if she wouldn't rather go somewhere else. To her sister's house perhaps? Or to his own wife who would take care of her and put her up for the night? No, she said. She didn't feel she could move even a yard at the moment. Would they mind awfully if she stayed just there She was until she felt better? She didn't feel too good at the moment and she really didn't. Then hadn't she better lie down on the bed, Nunana asked. No, she said. She would like to stay right where she was in this chair. A little later, perhaps, when she felt better, she would move. So they left her there while they went about their business, searching the house. Occasionally one of the detectives asked her another question. Sometimes Jack Noonan spoke to her gently as he passed by. Her husband, he told her, had been killed by a blow on the back of the head, administered with a heavy blunt instrument, almost certainly a large piece of metal. They were looking for the weapon. The murderer may have taken it with him, but on the other hand, he may have thrown it away or hidden it somewhere on the premises. It's the old story, he said. Get the weapon and you have got the man. Later one of the detectives came up and sat beside her. Did she know he asked of anything in the house that could have been used as the weapon? Would she mind having a look around to see if anything was missing? A very big spanner, for example, or a heavy metal vase? They didn't have any heavy metal vases, she said, or a big spanner. She didn't think they had a big spanner. But there might be something like that in the garage. The search went on. She knew that there were other policemen in the garden all around the house. She could hear their footsteps on the gravel outside and sometimes she saw the flash of a torch through a chink in the curtain. It began to get late. Nearly nine, she noticed by the clock on the mantel. The four men searching the room seemed to be growing weary, a trifle exasperated. Jack, she said. The next time, Sergeant Nunan went by. Would you mind giving me a drink? Sure, I'll I'll give you a drink. You mean this whiskey? Yes, please. But just a small one. It might make me feel better. He handed her the glass. Why don't you have one yourself, she said. You must be awfully tired. Please do. You have been very good to me. Well, he answered, it's not strictly allowed, but I might take just a drop to keep me going. (laughs) One by one, the others came in and were persuaded to take a little nip of whisky. They stood around, rather awkwardly, with the drinks in their hands, uncomfortable in her presence, trying to say consoling things to her. Sergeant Nunan wandered into the kitchen, came out quickly and said, look Mrs. Maloney, you know that oven of yours is still on, and the meat still inside. Oh dear me, <laughs> she cried, so it is. I better turn it off for you, hadn't I? Will you do that, Jack? Thank you so much. When the sergeant returned the second time, she looked at him with her large eyes, dark, tearful eyes. Jack Nunan, yes, would you do me a small favour, you and these others? We can try, Mrs. Maloney. Well, here you all are and good friends of dear Patrick's too. And helping to catch the man who killed him. You must be terribly hungry by now because it's long past your supper time. And I know Patrick would never forgive me. God bless his soul. If I allowed you to remain in his house without offering you decent hospitality. Why don't you eat up that lamb that's in the oven? It will be cooked just right by now. (laughs) Ha! Wouldn't dream of it, Sergeant Nunan said. Please, please eat it. Personally I couldn't touch a thing, certainly not what's been in the house when he was here. But it's all right for you. It would be a favour to me if you would eat it up and then you can go on with your work again afterwards. There was a good deal of hesitating among the four policemen but they were clearly hungry and in the end they were persuaded to go into the kitchen and help themselves. The women stayed where she was listening to them through the open door and she could hear them speaking among themselves, their voices thick and sloppy because their mouths were full of meat. Hey, have some more. Charlie, no, better not finish it. Well, she wants us to finish it. She said so. Be doing her a favor. Okay then, give me some more. That's the hell of a big club the guy must have used to hit poor Patrick. One of them was saying, and the doc says his skull was smashed all into the pieces just like from a sledgehammer. That's why it ought to be easy to find, I say. Exactly what I say. However, done it. They are not going to be carrying a thing like that around with them longer than they need. One of them belched. Personally, I think it's right here on the premises. Hmm. Hmm. Probably right under our very noses. (laughs) What do you think, Jack? (laughs) And in the other room, Mary Maloney. Begin to giggle. And that was it. So, this was the story Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl. I'm your storyteller, Kahani Wala Rajat. If you feel like sharing your feedbacks, please do that. You can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Kahani Wala Rajat. You can find me with the same name on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, maybe. So, you can just drop a message, and I'll be more than happy to get in touch. Thank you so much. I'll be back soon with one more episode of Kahani Cafe by Macmillan Education. Kahani Cafe. Kahani Cafe. Kahani wala rajat ke saath.